Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, June 19, 2022. It focuses on our close relationship with God as Father. The message to all who will listen is God is the one we can trust in all circumstances and to whom we should cry out in our times of need. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word and what it accomplishes in us through your Spirit's work. And I pray, God, that today your word would do that, that we would hear your word and be encouraged and trained and corrected if we need it. Help us to hear your Spirit speaking. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, and we pray to you, Father, in his name. Amen. Sing it with me. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Isn't God a good father? He is a good, good father, perfect in all of his ways, perfect in all of your ways, Father, perfect in all of your ways to us. God loves us unconditionally. His ways are always, 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 always perfect. Think of what God's done in your life. Looking back, can't you see his goodness? Even in troubling times, can't you say he loved me and he saw me through? His ways were perfect. Yes, yes, yes. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. Usually on Father's Day, we focus on the men who raised us, the men who shaped our thoughts, the men who pointed the way as best that they knew how and how to follow God. And it's right and good that we do so, in fact, as part of the covenant that God made with Israel. One of the commands that he made, we call them the Ten Commandments, you've heard of those? Well, one of the Ten Commandments says to honor our father and our mother, and so it is good and right for us to do that, and to do that not only on one day of the year, but to do that at all times, and to honor our fathers and our mothers in every way that we can, whether they're living or gone, we can speak well of them, and we can be respectful toward them, and care for them, and and they're worthy of our obedience and uh, Jesus brought up that command to honor father and mother again in, in his time on earth. So we know that it's a command that has continued to be a part of what God desires for us. So honor your father today. Encourage him if he's living. Remember him with gratitude in your heart if he's passed on to his reward. I was reminded this week, I don't know, I happened to run past the cemetery a couple times. I was reminded this week that my dad's gone. And this is the first Father's Day that I'm having without him. And so I remember him. And uh, he was a great guy. And he's passed on to his reward. And I'm thankful for a godly heritage. And I'm thankful for him. And I encourage you to be kind and generous in your support and your love and your honor toward your dad if he's living and to remember him well if he's no longer with you. We're going to be back together at some point, right? Heaven's coming. Yeah, 
I was reminded of that this morning, and Susan and I listened to this podcast, Praying the Word with David Platt, and this morning's was about those who mourn and how one day we're going to be together in heaven, and it was just kind of good timing and encouraging to me today. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Anyway, uh, <laughs> God is with the brokenhearted, isn't he? Yeah. So, what God the Father is like is going to be our focus for the rest of the morning. Sorry, dads. But you can listen to what God the Father is like and try to model your life after him. But we're going to talk about God the Father. And my hope and my prayer is that you will be more in love with him at the end of this time than you are already. Maybe some of you are so close to the Father that you are so in love that there's no way you can be more in love, but that's doubtful. Uh, we can be so much more in love. There's so much more about God that we don't know. And even the words that I say today and the words that Scripture give us still fall short. They're not everything that God is. It's what he's chosen to reveal to us. And when we get to see him face to face, it's going to be, oh, that's what you meant. Huh. Yeah, I should get on my notes maybe. <laughs> All right. My hope and my prayer is that you will love God and that you will honor and thank him even more than you do your earthly father. In the time of Jesus, the most intimate of titles used to address a father by his children, young and old, was this simple Aramaic phrase, Abba. Picture a toddler running toward her daddy when she sees him returning from work, Abba, she screams with delight and wraps her arm around his legs and looks up at him. Yeah. That's what Abba means. It means coming to a God who loves us and whom we're deeply in love with and in whom we delight. Well, three times in the New Testament, this most personal of titles is used to address or describe God the Father. The first time it's used is by Jesus in prayer, and the other two times it's in the text are related passages from Paul's letters, first to the church in Rome and then to the church in the province of Galatia. And these two, as we'll see, lead us into a closer-than-close relationship with God. But first we're going to start with Jesus' utterance of the name Abba. For that, we need to turn our attention to Mark's record. And yes, I do know that we just finished going through all of Mark. And it, maybe some of you are tired of Mark, but we're going to go back there anyway. So you might as well go along for the ride. Anyway, we're going to talk about Mark, and we're looking at Mark chapter 14. And in this chapter, we find Jesus and his followers, minus Judas. He's not there. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's the night before Jesus is to be crucified. The disciples don't know that's what's around the corner at that very moment, but Jesus has been warning them and telling them, and Jesus knows what's coming. His awareness of the event drives him to his knees in prayer. So let's read a bit of Mark chapter 14, and we're going to direct our eyes to verses 32 to 36, and you're going to see with me, Jesus in prayer in a most difficult night for him. So Mark 14, 32 to 36 says, They, that is the disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. 
He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, Mark says, was deeply distressed and troubled. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is not an ouch, I got a paper cut moment. You know, it's not I stubbed my toe. That really hurts, but it's not that kind of moment. This is more of a I'm overboard in the middle of the ocean, bleeding profusely from multiple wounds and sharks are circling me moment. And I can't get back to my raft. In such situations, hope is found only in outside intervention, in rescue by someone else, someone stronger. Abba, Father. Jesus cries out to God. He knows that his daddy, that's the word we would use, he knows that his daddy is the only one who can help him. With his daddy, all things are possible. He says it. He says, everything is possible for you. Everything, listen, everything is possible for God. He's almighty. He can heal. He can set things straight. He can protect. There is no circumstance that you or I can imagine in which he cannot help. Not one impossible spot that God cannot rescue us from. Whatever life throws at you, Go after God with the same urgency that Jesus did in this moment. Address him just as intimately. Abba, the doctor says I have cancer. Help. Abba, filling up with gas is breaking my budget. Abba, my grandkid is rebelling against his parents. Abba, I'm addicted to alcohol or whatever it is, whatever's going on in your life. Addressing your father, your daddy, in heaven, in this intimate way, shows great trust. You are, as you pray to your Abba, admitting your powerlessness and asking for help from the only one who can help in this impossible situation. And there's more situations that are impossible than you think. You think you got everything under control. No. Everything. Take everything to God. Everything. I heard someone ask it this week. What's bigger or who is bigger, your God or your problem? Jesus believed Abba was bigger than his problem, and his problem was huge. You're going to die on a cross tomorrow. That's a pretty big problem. Jesus acknowledges that everything is possible for God. That's faith. And then he makes a plea. He says, take this cup from me. The plea for relief is made in relationship to what Jesus has already said. He knows God is powerful. He can do all things. Jesus is confident the Father can save the world. He wants salvation to come to the world. He just wants to know if there's another way other than the cross. If there is, he's asking God to do the salvation thing in another way, if that's possible. 
Let's remember this. Jesus knows what's coming down the pike better than any of us ever knows what's ahead. He knows the pain and the agony he will endure if the cross is indeed the Father's will for him. Is it any wonder that he asks aloud in the Father's presence for relief, for any possible non-death-on-the-cross option? This is kind of like asking for a second opinion when one doctor says that there's no hope or that major surgery is the only option. Of course, with God, there is really no second opinion, but it's okay for us to ask the one who can change our situation if there is a way that brings relief and allays fears and includes less pain. It's okay to ask that. Should we always pray for restoration when we're sick? Yes. Should we always pray for peace in, a, in the midst of broken relationships? Absolutely. Should we always pray, asking for what we want and what we need from our Abba? Yes. The words of Jesus we have in the Gospels encourage us to pray boldly, trustingly, in all circumstances at all times. Listen to these words from Jesus spoken during his Sermon on the Mount, and I'm reading from Matthew 6, 7, and 8. When you pray, that's assuming you're going to, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Our Father knows what we need before we even start praying. He might even be prompting our prayer so he can do what he wants to do. That's kind of crazy. But he knows what we need before we ask. Think about that for a moment. Your Abba knows what you need before you ask him for it. That thing that you're thinking about right now that's just driving you bananas, he already knows. He already knows. Nothing you are going through has taken God aback. He has not been surprised by any incident you have gone through. He is aware of every need, and he is more than able to meet each and every need. Knowing this, you and I can pray without a lot of fanfare and not a lot of, God, I demand this from you. You don't have to do that. We simply make our requests known to God. Abba, Father, you are able. Please act. And Jesus says this about the kind of response we can expect regularly from God when we ask things of him. I'm reading now from the next chapter, Matthew chapter 7. Take a look, starting at verse 7, reading through verse 11. We hear Jesus still preaching on that same hillside, still in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and, the one, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? I am not picking up a snake to give my kids. Anyway, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God gives good gifts to his kids. 
When they ask, among the good gifts he gives are healing from physical maladies and freedom from fear and peace when life is chaotic, joy in the midst of sorrow, and so much more. Haven't you experienced some of those things? Those good gifts? Are you still praying? Expecting some good gift from God. Are you continuing to pray even though God hasn't yes said yes? Jesus' actions and his words say keep asking. Not using lots of words, but just reminding God, hey God, I'm here and I need help. Ask. One more passage before we go back to Mark chapter 14. This time we're headed to John 16. The words we find in this chapter are part of Jesus' final words to his followers before he goes to the cross. So this is before the garden, okay? He tells them they will grieve, but he says better things are on the way. So listen to what he says to his disciples in verses 22 to 28. John 16, 22 to 28. This is Jesus speaking. He says, so with you, and he's talking to the disciples, so with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Jesus' followers can talk to the Father directly. Does that truth not blow your mind? God listens to you. Not just to your pastor. Not just to some famous person who has a huge crowd. He listens to you. You can ask God directly for what you need, for what you want. You can talk with your Abba about what's going on around you, what troubles you, what pleases you, what blesses you, what you see wrong, what you see right. You can talk to him about all of it. Big, small, there's no big and small in God's eyes anyway, right? He's bigger than all of it. And your Father in love listens to you when you pray in Jesus' name. And please understand, that's not just tacking a quick, in Jesus' name, amen, on the end of a prayer. No, it's being in that place where you're a child of God, and you're just going to your dad and saying, hey, this is what I need. And I come to you because Jesus has made the way. It's in his authority. All those who have trusted God for salvation through Jesus are loved by the Father. And so we ask. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Back to Mark chapter 14. Jesus acknowledges God's power to do anything. He makes his request known. Take this cup from me. And then his prayer takes a hard right. After he's asked God to rescue him, he adds this important qualifying statement Yet not what I will, but what you will. Only if it is his Abba's will does Jesus want relief. Only then. 
He wants God's will above his own, even on this dark, dark night. When we pray things which we are sure or sure enough are God's will, are we willing to let him be God and do what we ask only if it's what he knows is best or if it's his will? Are we willing to accept his best rather than our imagined best? Big questions, I know. Not easy to answer. In our flesh, we want what we want because we imagine that what we want is what's best. Because we want it. But God, is it possible God knows better than any of us what we need? Is it not only possible, but probable that he knows better than the wisest among us? I know he's in a better position to direct my life than I am. I know so little he knows all. How could I be so arrogant as to think his way will not be best or that my way is better than his? You are perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways to us. He's saying it. Do you mean it? Do you believe God is perfect in all of his ways? Can you pray with confidence, yet not what I will, but what you will? I don't know why God would say no to fixing any particular problem that you're facing, but I know he's a good father and that his will is perfect and his ways are perfect. I know you and I can trust him and all his ways at all times. How did Job respond when everything, I mean, oxen, donkeys, sheep, servants, camels, and all ten of his kids were taken away in a moment? Listen to his words. I'm reading Job 1, 20 and 21. It says this. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Are you not amazed at that response? After Job loses nearly everything of worldly value and all ten of his kids in a single day, he finds no fault with God he worships. The natural fleshly response when God doesn't do as we think he should do or when things are bad by our standards is to scream and rant and curse. Such a reaction is understandable but not altogether godly. I don't say that to judge anyone. I've done plenty of screaming and ranting and cursing. Yeah, you guys do? I'm just inviting you to consider a better way. To worship. We will never understand all of God's ways, not fully, but we can always trust his ways as we pray, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. And it says, this then is how you should pray. This is Jesus speaking to us. And this is a prayer of surrender and trust. It's not just something we recite once in a while for the fun of it. It's what we're to do or to submit to Jesus and to, and to the Father. Here's what Jesus says. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Abba, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Will we trustingly ask our Abba, our Daddy, who loves us to do his best in our lives and in the lives of those around us? His will, not our will. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. That was Jesus' prayer in his hour of need. May our prayers match his attitude and his words when we, too, are in dire straits. So I told you at the onset there were three passages which used God's most intimate name, Abba. We've only covered one so far. Perhaps we should get on to the others. The two passages we're going to look at now are closely related passages, so I want to read them both in their entirety before commenting. And so I'm going to read the verses from Romans 8 first, and then the correlating verses from Galatians chapter 4. I think you'll hear the similarities. Pay attention. You're going to listen for the use of Abba in both addressing God. So let's start with Romans 8. And in both cases, there's lots of verses around this. I could have read way more, but I'm just going to pick a few verses that give us the idea of what the Spirit is trying to say to us through Paul. So we're going to read verses 14 through 17 of Romans chapter 8. This paragraph is just one part of the argument that Paul is making for our secure position in Christ and our intimate relationship with the Father. So listen, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, a couple questions we're going to answer about both passages. Who cries Abba Father in this passage, and what are the implications? So I want you to think on that. Look at Romans, but we're also going to Galatians 4 now. Galatians 4, 4 to 7. See if you can catch the things in this passage that are shared and alike and things that are a little bit different in them. So let's look at Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Did you catch the similarities? All right, we're going to go back to the questions. Who cries Abba, Father, in the passage, and what are the implications? And in Romans, it is the adopted children of God who cry out to him. It's you and me crying out to the Father. Abba, Father. The adopted children of God cry out because they know that God is their Father. They know that they know that they know that God is their Father and that they have been adopted as children because the Spirit tells them so. 
Now, in Galatians, it is the spirit in the hearts of believers who cries out, Abba, Father. Probably prompting them to do what he said that they do in Romans, right? It's the Spirit of God within us who's crying out to God. His voice from within confirms their adoption. They know that they are heirs because of the Spirit's cry within them that wells up in their soul. Do you ever hear God or sense the Spirit going, God, hey, Father, we are children of God, heirs with Christ of his kingdom. That's what the passages say. We're adopted. We're brought in and made heirs with Christ. We can pray as Jesus did, Abba, Father. We can pray knowing that God hears us, knowing God can help us, knowing that his will for us is going to be done and that it's going to be good. Before we close... There's one more verse that I could not leave alone. It sums up all that we've seen, and that verse is 1 John 3, verse 1, and it's so great. Perhaps you know it to start with the word, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, but it says a little bit different in the NIV, so let me read it for you. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Hmm. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are a child of God. That is what you are. That is what we, as a church, are. Our Father, our Abba, loves us. He has adopted us. We are his children. We have been made heirs with Christ, and one day we will spend eternity with him because of what Jesus has done and because of the Father in love sending Jesus for us. Ponder those things as we close now. Praying to God, thanking him, honoring him in every way we can on this Father's Day. Yeah, we honor our earthly dads, but we honor our Father in heaven more because he has made a way for us to spend eternity with him, and he has made us, by his Spirit, adopted kids. We're God's children. That's what we are. So I want you to listen to the Spirit as we take a few moments in silence and then listen more and worship as I close with a prayer song that uh, God inspired, I think. Recently, as I was reading Jesus' prayer for the church in John chapter 17, the words are a prayer to God for the church, and I pray God's blessing on this church and on his church everywhere as we close. So take just a few moments in silence. We're going to worship God and honor him and thank the Father for what he's done through his son Jesus, and then I'm going to lead you in worship through song in just a moment.
Father, protect your church by the power of your name, that they may be one as you are one with the Spirit and with the Son. Within their spirits, within their souls, the full measure of your joy through the Spirit and through the Son. Sanctify them by your word, through the Spirit, through the Son. Holy Father, Send your church to the peoples of the earth that you might save them from their sin through your word and by your son. Joy unspeakable and full of 
your church up to heaven to see your son in all his glory in all his might and live forever with great joy Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you're going to do. Thank you for your love for your church and for the world. God, stir up our love. Not only our love for you and for each other, but for those who don't know you, who are not yet children of God, so that there will be more who will see your son Jesus in all his glory and worship you. Draw people to you and send us out to show them who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.